kind of like a special edition of the Daily Bugle. That's what this is. We have moved the wrap on Spider-Man Homecoming to its own special episode. And that's what this is. Friendly Neighborhood Webhead Podcast. I'm Eric Burnham. With me is Ethan Colchimero. Sir, how's it going? It's going well. I'm excited that we're doing this little wrap-up episode. It's fun to just kind of give an overview of the whole thing now that we've gone through the first Spidey-led solo MCU flick. Um, I, I, I just wish that I had finished the editing before we recorded this podcast. This is behind the scenes, folks. How the sausage is made. This is me admitting to my failure the last two weeks being so busy that I didn't get the episode edited and up, which it'll be up by the time you hear this, but I have such shame. I can hear the people <laughs> with the bells from uh, Game of Thrones following me. Uh, no. Just shame. And, uh, you know, so that's that's where I'm feeling at today. I cop to it mea culpa as you were, sir. Yes, absolutely. I uh, I think hopefully our, our fans will indulge us and we appreciate their patience as uh, as we get these things going. Um, but a lot of fun stuff to come. What is your just gut reaction to the film? couple of sentences i mean they they call it homecoming and it's it's a play on words of the fact that spider-man is back in his home of marvel uh this is the first movie of spider-man that marvel has made it was a somewhat controversial decision not only to have it be peter parker but also to have it be peter parker in high school marvel had to prove that they could tell a story with their flagship character better than other studios did check they succeeded they had to justify you know rebooting instead of continuing and then you know they could they they could have just picked up with andrew garfield they yeah could've... let's talk about that real quickly sure do you think uh do you think just i mean the basic plot framework uh, right. high school aside of uh homecoming would it have worked better with Andrew Garfield? Well, I mean, just the basics, not the stuff that was tailored for Tom Holland, but I mean, just sure. just in general, as a story with with the Vulture interacting, you know, with with the Marvel universe in general, and and right. and the trappings that were specific, like back in high school and stuff, would this have worked in general better with Andrew Garfield? Well, I I don't think you can make a case that it would have worked better. I think that if if it was supposed to be in continuity with the amazing Spider-Man films, there was, boy, just a lot of plates spinning where we left Amazing Spider-Man 2. To bring that established world into the MCU, I think it would have been tough to do it elegantly. I mean, I'm sure everybody involved could have done it. And we, we've discussed on the podcast that there were some plans with the Avengers Age of Ultron to potentially have an Andrew Garfield amazing Spider-Man cameo. It, it, it seems like there had been some thought of, of, of merging the universes rather than doing a, a, a relaunch. And, and that's, yeah, that's what I'm, what I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, just before I forget my thought was yeah, just his interpretation, mm -hmm. his, uh, his manner of delivery, his irritation with other people, would that have fit in better against Captain America, against Iron Man, and against heck, against the vulture. <laughs> Even if it was similar, you know, he's dating a new girl, and uh oh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, just uh, just those things. It, it would have been a, a hundred percent different. I'm not entirely sure that he would have been as intimidated 
by right, right. by Adrian Toomes in the car giving the speech. But mm-hmm. you know, would he uh, would his Spider Man have integrated more uh, fittingly into the MCU? That's what I was getting at. I think more than For better. Sure. I think you know, yeah. You know, I don't think so. And you know, I think the proof is probably. I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm not in these uh, Hollywood boardrooms by any stretch of the imagination, but my gut reaction or gut feeling is that Marvel had their choice to either integrate Andrew Garfield and the Amazing World into the MCU or do their own version. And I think for a lot of reasons they made the right choice. I think the in terms of the chemistry. And in terms of how that interpretation of Spider-Man would have reacted to the larger MCU, where you wouldn't have had Iron Man as a mentor figure. I mean, sure, he could have enlisted the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man in in Civil War. And, you know, when we met Tom Holland in Civil War, the Tom Holland, Peter Parker, he said he's been doing this for about six months or he he got bitten six months ago. So maybe he's been Spider-Man for for two or three months, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have been interesting to in Civil War have have enlisted the amazing Andrew Garfield Spider-Man in that battle because it would be a more confident spider-man a more mature spider-man a more um you know he he he, you know would have already had a costume established he already would have you know fought several you know big time super villains that uh, airport throwdown wouldn't have been his first super battle you know but i do think this version of spider-man cap would have probably pounded into the tarmac I'm just, what was that, son? Wham, wham, wham. So little stinker, right? That's exactly. right. Yeah. That, and and then, yeah. you know, we would have discovered that uh, Tony Stark had something to do with his father's death. And that would have been how that soap opera got wrapped in. Oh, but, good Lord. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good Lord is a good point to end that, uh, that tangent. So Peter Parker is in a science high school. It's a diverse science high school. We've got Ned. We've got Michelle. We've got uh, Betty Brandt. We've got an interesting cast of uh, teachers and coaches and faculty, and they all get a little time to shine. We don't have a J. Jonah Jameson or a newspaper yet. I don't actually think that this Peter will wind up uh, interacting too much with Jonah. I think it'll probably just be you know something someone that he watches, which is a shame. They could go anywhere with it, though, I think. I mean, we're, we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves, but I think that— um, we, we are, but I just— There's I, no I reason don't that he couldn't— yeah. Be, you know, an intern at the Daily Bugle. But at the same time, I mean, I think uh, pictures of Spider-Man could still be his window into that world. And maybe he'll try to rehabilitate his um, image by by working at the Daily Bugle. Maybe, you know, once he convinces J. Jonah Jameson that he's not Spider-Man, James, Jonah will take some kind of pity on him. I mean, we're also kind of we, – it, it's still – Remains to be seen uh, if the MCU J. Jonah Jameson has some of the compassion and journalistic integrity uh, of the, you know, Raimi film J. Jonah Jameson or the comic book J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, they really seemed like they were setting him up to be a bit of a, you know, Alex Jones style uh, rabble rouser uh, who's maybe more concerned with the clicks than the than than the truth. Right. Uh, well, what I was getting at, I mean, yeah, we really are jumping ahead with Jonah. No, I was more getting at <laughs> Peter. He's already become famous on YouTube. 
and he wasn't the one who shot the footage. Okay, so I'm going to jump in from the present. The rest of this podcast having been recorded back in June in 2021, we're uh, to the point where I have seen No Way Home, and uh, man alive, this conversation just looks so much weirder in retrospect. I want you to know that um, things changed so quickly in the Spider-Man universe that a lot of these thoughts are going to be, you know, outdated. But that's not why you're listening. At least I hope not. I hope you're listening because you're having fun. The only reason I'm saying all this is because I'm a nerd. I'm pedantic. I was listening to this while I'm editing and going, you know, we're talking about things, we're speculating about things, we're opining about things that are no longer the case, thanks to where uh, Far From Home and No Way Home have gone. But hey, that doesn't mean we can't still uh, talk about them and have our nostalgia and whimsy, even though it's outdated and we know it now. But I had to say something because, um, yeah, like I said, it's just that uh, pedantic side of me. All right, back to the podcast. People have already got the images of Spider-Man out there. He's famous also for being an Avenger. So, I mean, he, the, the public knows him. And, and now he, you know, uh, spoilers, he's been outed in Far From Home. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the route towards journalism or photojournalism is there for the MCU, Peter, in the same way that it was for Toby. Absolutely. I mean, they, they never really seem to... Um show him as having a photography hobby or an interest in photography. So that would be three solo movies and, and two or three group movies in, uh, that would, that would be kind of an odd shoehorn. I, I always kind of appreciated in the, um, ultimate, uh, Spider-Man comics, the way that Peter was, um, an intern in the web department, <laughs> pun intended. He, he wasn't working for the Daily Bugle as a 15 or 16-year-old photographer. He was working for the Daily Bugle as an intern in the online division. And I could really see Tom Holland's Peter doing something along those lines, working, especially if it's a, a YouTube channel or it's you know anything where um, it's more online than print. Um, there, there are lots of opportunities for, for Tom Holland's Peter Parker to intern there, you know, work there, you know, do, do, do something there. Um, even though he hasn't really been shown any kind of interest in, uh, journalism or, or photography. Yeah. He's more of the science guy. And again, we see that more and far from home. Uh, he is completely comfortable using all of Tony's high tech gear without an instruction booklet, which We've talked about that. The Zoomer doesn't need the instruction booklet, but <laughs> right. I, I don't think that he's shown any of those uh, those traits for that part of the character that was established in the comics. I think that that's being uh, sunsetted just because of, well, the way the world works. I mean, even 20 years ago, uh, there was more of a place in a newspaper in the web department for uh, <laughs> for a Peter Parker than there is now. Absolutely, um, and so uh, I think that that is a part of the character that is being sunsetted. I think he's, you know, going to be more of the kind of science hero. At, do you think that losing it, and it's most obvious in a movie, losing that path is uh, detrimental? I think at this stage of the game, the the trope of a superhero who works for a media company. Obviously, it has whiskers on it. It's not as relevant as it was when those tropes were kind of originally formed. I think that uh, 
we can move on from that part of of, of Peter Parker uh, compared to some of the other things that he's already we've already established that he's he's up to. Now let's take a quick look at the cast. We've discussed the cast as they've popped up over the last four episodes of the podcast, and it is a it's a great cast. It's it's hard for me to even though many of these characters have been played by other people in the past, it's hard for me to imagine another actor or actress embodying these roles. Even you know, I mean taking rewrites aside, taking improvisation aside, it's still hard for me to imagine somebody else within the narrow band that would stay the same throughout any version of the movie. <laughs> right. um, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. Kevin Feige and Marvel, their superpower in real life is casting. They, they nailed that one. I mean, I can't think of anybody who would be a cooler aunt than Marissa Tomei. Like, <laughs> if somebody uh, actually is Marissa Tomei's niece or nephew, I'm I'm jealous of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is the first on-screen Aunt May that seems like a New Yorker, because she is, of course, and you 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 can't really fake that. But um, yeah, I I appreciate that about her, especially because the Parkers have always been working class. You know, there was a, a, a kind of a posh element to um to some of the other you know rosemary harris's aunt may i mean i think sally field's aunt may definitely felt you know blue collar working class uh but maybe didn't have that same kind of new york vibe that that marissa tomei had okay now i want to talk a little bit about one of peter parker's classmates and one of the classic characters presented in an entirely new way uh this flash is played by tony revolori man he just (laughs) killed as flash he came off as a bully Mm -hmm. but a modern bully you, you kind of wanted to punch him, but you also had just a little bit like like when Peter took his car, when Spider-Man took his car, you had a little bit of a tiny bit of, of sympathy for them. <laughs> Discounting the conversation that he had before about the brand Zeno. But no, right. he just he seems uh, he seems more like um, he's like if James Franco's Harry Osborne was the bully. Mm. In the original Spider-Man <laughs> yes. movie, that is what we have here with this Flash Thompson. Really, and I, I really, he stood out, man. He wasn't just the the athletic jerk, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I loved his performance. I think the decision to make Flash more of a socioeconomic bully and and a um, emotional bully, if you will, was a genius uh, stroke for a couple of reasons. I mean, I think that. On one level, once Peter gets bitten, you know that Flash can't torment him anymore. I mean, a lot of times Peter would have to sort of eat some crow in front of people and let Flash bully him because he couldn't reveal that he was, uh, you know, really Spider-Man. But, you know, you have a moment like in Amazing Spider-Man where Peter really does. And I think actually in both in in both uh, Spider-Man movies uh once peter gets bitten he's really able to give Flash his comeuppance and then you know there's not a whole lot more to do with the character after that uh i mean they did some great things with him in the amazing films in particular but there's so much more potential with flash being this kind of socio-economic emotional bully because he can get into peter's skin and i think it's such a nuanced take on the character, and uh, Tony Revolori does a great job. I mean, I'm I, I was familiar with his work in uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, where he oh yeah, phenomenal performance, and um, so he's clearly a very talented young actor. And I think that what I love about it is that we I've encountered people like this where they come from great privilege, and as a result of that. 
are are very selfish, self-centered, rude, entitled, you know, just jerks. But at the same time, they they did miss something coming from that immense amount of privilege where you almost do feel a level of sympathy for for the lack of true friendship, true experiences in in life. And and you know that part of that, you know, kind of terrible personality really comes from the fact that for all of the material things they have and all the privilege they have, there's just some basics that that they that they were denied <laughs> some basics of like human emotion and and uh, development. And so it's like, wow, you you know, you're really annoying. I, I really like dislike you. But at the same time, I do feel for you. And I understand why you're like this, but that doesn't make me want to be around you. And I think that's so much more fertile of storytelling ground than ah, I'm a jock and I'm a punch you. This version of Flash is also the first version of Flash that I think Peter could have punched out before getting bitten by the spider. <laughs> Probably. And the fact it's 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 like a Lex Luthor Superman situation here uh, before the spider or after in that. I could break you in half, but then I would be sued out of existence or, or at least, you know, punished monetarily in some way by Flash's family. And I mean, that's a, that's an interesting tack. I don't think that anybody, any bully has held over Peter in the, uh, in the comics before or the movies before that I can think of. Uh, moving on just uh, briefly, this isn't, this isn't a major role in the movie. I just happened to be looking up the actors, and I saw that uh, the portrayer of Mac Gargan uh, is Michael Mando, and he is a Quebecois, and that just made me imagine like a blending of uh, Batroc and the Scorpion. He did a great job. He was very menacing. It was a great performance, but now I kind of want to see a French-Canadian Scorpion. (laughs) It's too late now, but it was was right there. We had the opportunity, and it slipped through our fingers. (laughs) It's a really deep bench of character actors who are all very interesting and all bring interesting things to their roles. I mean, Herman Schultz, Bokeem Woodbine, mm-hmm. he has more there than just any one of those that guys. Uh, you know, what's you interesting know. is how, how many um, people in this film have been the lead in, in other films. I mean, it's like you said, a, a deep bench of, of really good actors. Donald Glover got just uh, two, three minutes Total right, over exactly. his two yeah. scenes, and, and Donald Glover is Donald Glover. So I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect example. Um, it is an ensemble film. I mean, I think when you're that young, when you're 15 years old, all those kids that that you go to school with, all those people in your neighborhood, they are your world. They're so important to you, and I think that was such a smart choice on Marvel's part to really flesh out even the the people who have two or three lines. Um, and and just have uh, just top-notch performers in those roles. And I think it also speaks to the fact that, I mean, at this point, everybody wants to work for Marvel. I mean, no matter who you are, when Marvel calls. I mean, people who, you know, years ago used to ridicule, uh, you know, doing superhero films or, or look down on them, thumb their nose at them. Uh, now they're in Marvel films. I mean, there's al- almost nobody who l- leaves that message on red. So, right. Just real quick, following that point, it's not just the the special effects stuff 
you know, you can take that out, you know, the superhero action, but the characters that they get to play, you can chew up a lot of scenery with some of these characters. And I can't think of an actor who doesn't enjoy chewing up scenery. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, even even uh, people who are, are kind of like the, the indie movie actors, the award season contenders. I mean, if you told me one day. Uh, Robert Redford would say Hail Hydra on screen. I'd be like, no, no, we're not going to get that. But, you know, here we are. Um, Yeah, and and, uh, there was an interview recently. uh, This pertains to Spider-Man. Christopher McDonald, you know, Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. Sure, sure. He's being brought into the Marvel Universe. He's going to be in Secret Invasion. Ooh. Oh, he'll be good in that. The rumor is that he's going to be playing Norman Osborn. Oh, I like that a lot. I yeah. don't know. He, yeah, I mean, he's obviously not saying anything. Marvel's not saying anything. Right. But and that's every, the rumor. Everything that you get, every every, every Disney Plus Marvel show, um, the fans are always uh, swinging for the fences with the biggest possible. Oh, um, yeah. You know. This we, is how it matters. Mephisto <laughs> is coming. The, the, the multiverse <laughs> is going to break. We'll talk a little bit about that later. And secret invasion is one of the ones on my radar and i didn't know he was in it until i saw the little bit about him being interviewed about are you playing norman osborne yeah i mean you know i I signed an nda so i mean i can't say anything other than i'm in it because that's public (laughs) right right (laughs) but he'd be a good norman say who he's playing after the show drops Um, (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) sometimes we find out they're not playing who we thought they were even you know an hour into the movie so Michelle, uh, Zendaya's role, uh, she is Michelle, but she is also MJ. Uh, she is the quote unquote Mary Jane. There is no Mary Jane. There's no Gwen. She's an original character who blends a little Mary Jane, blends a little Gwen and, uh, has her own name, uh, but then the moniker of MJ as well. And, you know, honestly, I liked Mary Jane, loved her in the McGuire trilogy. Uh, the amazing duology, uh, Emma Stone was a great Gwen. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that they went original or original-ish. Right. I am too. I mean, you know, that, that gives them a lot of things to work with. One, you're not living down anything that, that Kirsten Dunst had done. You're not beholden to a- any preconceived notions of the character. You know, I mean, I think, hey, we're introducing Gwen Stacy. Well, when is she going to get dropped off a bridge? You know, and we're introducing Mary Jane Watson. Are they, when are they going to get married? You know, yep. all, any of these kind of things. Um, Michelle, we don't we we have no expectations. They can take that character anywhere. They have no uh, you know legally binding uh, requirement to stick to what the comics did. But you know we're always going to be judging it based off of our expectations. Michelle is is an open book, and and they can go anywhere with her. And they've gone some really cool places, uh, and and put Peter uh, in relationship situations that he probably couldn't have been in. With Mary Jane or or Gwen Stacy or Betty Brandt, and and I also love the homecoming Betty Brandt. Um, oh yes, <laughs> and it would kind of be cool to see uh, her make her way over to J. Jonah Jameson's media empire uh, more so than Peter. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, we've talked about this on the podcast about how good an actress Zendaya is in this yeah. I mean she she is in, in general I mean her you know performances over the last few years have certainly borne that out but uh she gets to play a, a layered character who is funny 
who is irritable. I think at one point we said uh, a character who probably wouldn't like Zendaya in real life. Um, (laughs) She's able to play. This is something you don't see in a lot of characters, a character who is both comfortable and uncomfortable in their own skin at the same time. She's comfortable being, you know, Michelle flipping off her friends as they come into the door or Mm -hmm. making toast at a party and, and vanishing into the shadows. But she's, she's uncomfortable being, Peter's close friend or Ned's close friend or anybody's close friend, you can tell yeah. she, she brings that up when, when the, uh, a deepened friendship situation presents itself, you know, she's fine on the surface. She's uncomfortable going a little bit deeper and it's visible when you watch the part. Absolutely. I mean, I think when you say um, comfortable and uncomfortable in their skin at the same time, that's a great way to describe a lot of teenagers. And I think that, um, so many young people are really trying to fit in. And, um, you know, Michelle is someone who's very, like, iconoclastic. She's got her own take on things. But at the same time, that vulnerability scares her. It scares her to be different. And she acts like it doesn't, but it does. It scares her to not fit in. It's, and, and she acts like, well, I don't fit in, so, you know, F the world. Some of us have been that teenager. A lot of us know that teenager. But I think um, Zendaya just did a phenomenal job. Um, this is a fully realized performance. You know, this is not like a a carefully calculated, you know, Disney um, defining of a brand. I mean, this is this is a real performance, and it just shows that uh, Zendaya's a real talent that uh, is going to be probably around for a long time if she keeps up on, uh, on this level of both within the MCU and, and her other projects. It's it's clear that she's not sort of interested in, um, uh, you know, just being an A-list star. She, she's a real performer. Uh, yeah, and she's playing one of the few characters in this movie that doesn't have a comic book basis to build anything from. I mean, she can take bits from Mary Jane or Gwen or, you know, take your pick, but uh, the actual character of Michelle not existing in the comics means she had to build more. You know, I mean, that makes the performance that much more impressive. Another character who doesn't exactly exist in the comic books, he's also, like Michelle, a bit of an amalgam, is Ned, played by Jacob Badlon. And, Matt, you know, he is, he exudes, whether it's in his role as Ned or in uh, behind-the-scenes footage, he just exudes the that's a cool dude. I want to be his friend. <laughs> right. Maybe it's because he's from Hawaii. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, from, from the few times I've looked at his social media, I mean, just seems like super fun, uh, very down to earth. Uh, I believe when I was watching the homecoming special features, uh, yeah, cool. I'm just looking at his IMDB now. Uh, homecoming was his second credit. Um, and, and first, you know, big budget, big, uh, role in a, in a movie that you know millions of people were going to see, and I think he brought a lot of the nervous energy and excitement of this opportunity to the character of Ned, and that just made it so appealing, so instantly lovable. And uh, I just think there's a there's a genuineness that you you can't teach or learn or fake uh, to to his on screen performances, Ned. <laughs> You know, McGuire and Franco had great chemistry, uh, but there's just a level of of affection and playfulness and that feeling of a shared history that uh, Tom Holland and, and Jacob Batalon have uh, displayed in this film that um, 
it's just so I mean, just instantly, you know, lovable. He ran the bases with this one, hundred um, percent. I'm I'm trying to decide if we should talk about the fun gossip and what it did to Twitter between Tom <laughs> Holland and Zendaya. I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, I I think uh, I, I'm going to say let's move past that. I, I think so. You know, I'm tempted to just leave this little snippet of conversation <laughs> with the laughter and let's move past. I'm, I'm tempted to leave. I might even leave it in. Hi, folks. Uh, one more uh, cast member we want to talk about. We gave him a lot of play during the episodes. Uh, Michael Keaton as mm. Adrian Toomes. Uh, he played him blue collar. He played him as a family guy. He played him as a menacing guy and somebody who could flip like a light switch between the two. He would do anything for his family, and he proved it. And it's just, you know, it's Michael Keaton doing what Michael Keaton does, and I loved it. I was trying to think out of any character in this movie, uh, which one I could think of as recasting. Now, it's mm. easy to do something like, you know, Matt Gargan should have been so-and-so, or we could have gotten so-and-so for this. The, the small parts. Uh, sure. Adrian Toomes was the only a character I could think of another actor for that would be in the same realm, you know, improv and, and rewrites aside that would be in the same realm of Keaton's performance. And sadly he's passed away. Uh, that was Bill Paxton, mm. you know, the uh, character actor MVP who was killed by aliens and predators mm. and terminators. So, I mean, I think, he's, I think the only one to be killed by all three, he, he, he truly was. And uh, I mean, he's been everywhere. He's been in the MCU, technically, if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. still counts. Uh, he's been in many of the major uh, science fiction uh, franchises that are not <laughs> Star Trek or Star Wars, you know. And I mean, he would have been he would have been I would have bought him in this role, blue collar and menacing in the same way that I bought Michael Keaton. The only other actor I can think of. I'm sure there are more, but my brain is. Yeah, limited. you know, it's funny mentioning because I, I, I always kind of think of. um Bill Paxton, I mean, a great range, phenomenal career. I mean, you, you scan his resume and it's just, you know, winner after winner. Um, but, I, you know, he he did kind of get his start in Hollywood as kind of like a, um, you know, one of the James Cameron featured players. And that immediately brought me to mind uh, of another James Cameron uh, all-star player, uh, which was Lance Henriksen. You know what? I thought you were going to say Michael Biehn. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I mean, I would love to see him in the MCU. He he just had a great uh, showing in The Mandalorian. Um, yeah. But Lance Henriksen, I mean, age appropriate for comics accurate Adrian Toomes, can do blue collar, can certainly do menacing. I'm sure he could have done the warm dad thing. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I am actually thinking maybe now of a few roles I've seen him in where he got to stretch and show a little bit more warmth, a little bit more playfulness. Um, but that's not what he's kind of known for. But uh, that, that's the only other person that I could kind of maybe picture in this particular iteration of Adrian Toomes. That being said, Michael Keaton, A1. Um, and, you know, I, I think because he had one of the most iconic turns as in, in superhero films, I'm sure none of us really thought oh, we'll, we'll see him in another superhero movie. But I think superheroes as a film genre has gotten to the point where you are going to see actors in multiple ones. Just like, you know, I mean, Westerns are a genre. Clint Eastwood didn't just do one Western or, you know, thrillers are a genre. And, and 
whoever, Jimmy Stewart, you know, hasn't just done one thriller. So you're going to see actors in multiple roles in the genre of superhero now, uh, even the ones who were the most iconic. And I, I mean, I think that Adrian, the role of Adrian Toomes gave Michael Keaton way more to to sink his teeth into than the role of Bruce Wayne in Batman. Um, he was always a great actor and he's just gotten better with age. He seized on every opportunity, every potential that this character gave him. Um, and and I think, you know, up until this point, one of the, the things a lot of people, you know, had, had kind of, I, I think, fairly, you know, given some constructive criticism to the MCU where you, the, the villains weren't always the strongest uh, compared to other superhero films in the past. I mean, it was a, a great focus on the heroes, um, sometimes at the expense of maybe the villain. Um, whereas I think you had decades of superhero movies where the villains were um, developed almost at the expense of the heroes. But uh, I think Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes, you know, immediately shot to the top of the MCU bad guy roster, uh, you know, right up there with with Loki and um, Vincent D'Onofrio's uh, Kingpin. Um, I liked that. Uh, and this is this is a, a case with more and more superhero movies. Uh, and it's partly, I imagine, because the actors don't mind reprising the role, but the bad guy didn't die in the end. I really like that. Agreed. I mean, I think that that's the kind of thing that you get when the fans of the superhero genre and comic books are are making these movies. You get the situation where we don't have to do the Hollywood trope of killing the villain. We're going to go closer to the comic book trope of keeping the villain alive to have more and more battles down the line, which just make that adversarial relationship deeper. You know, when, And when even you, if you don't, it's just nice that the characters gets to have that moral high ground. Right, exactly. They, or, or maintain the moral high ground. Not all characters have it, um, but I, I appreciate that they do. Final thoughts, homecoming. Uh, what do you got, sir? Overall, you know, Marvel, uh, you know, had had some very clear goals ahead of them, and they were very aware of all the beats this movie needed to hit. Um, I think they, you know, successfully hit the overwhelming majority of them. Um, you know, we had a filmmaker who I think was maybe a little greener than some of the other filmmakers that Marvel has gone with. I mean, I think Marvel always does a great job of just like casting, going with directors who are. Not who you would have thought of, but then turned out to be exactly the right choice. And um, John Watts, you know, really did a, a phenomenal job on coming up with authentic teenagers, uh, coming up with an authentic high school that exists within the MCU, uh, capturing the neighborhood, um, you know, just just hitting a lot of beats that we hadn't seen on screen before, which was wonderful. I do think that um, in this initial outing, uh, some of his inexperience with action sequences uh, were a little bit more evident. Uh, I think, you know, when, when we talk about Far From Home, I think it was a huge level up in terms of the action sequences. But um, just like Mark Webb, he didn't have a, a, a lot of experience with big budget set pieces. Um, and I think I would almost say that for the first time out, just on, you know, visual action sequences alone, maybe maybe Mark Webb uh Rose to the occasion a little bit better this first time out than John Watts. That said, 
even when the action sequences weren't the most spectacular that that we've seen in a Spider-Man film, the emotional content in, in each scene elevated the action um, to a point that maybe no other franchise had. So first time out, presenting a new Spider-Man world, presenting a new Spider-Man cast, uh, and and just kind of in terms of justifying its existence, uh, I think I would give this an A plus all around. Fair enough. And uh, you know we've we've talked about it in episode four, but it also got the uh, w- one of the most memorable images uh, in the history of the character that doesn't involve someone falling off a bridge. Right. <laughs> uh, Peter lifting tons of wreckage off his back and and psyching himself up. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. Um, just getting that in there was something, and it was something I didn't think that they'd ever put into a Spider-Man movie. Just, um, well, for many reasons, but uh, they they did. They got it in there, and it was a beautifully rendered scene. All the rest of the stuff you said I agree with. I love how they uh, set Peter up to make mistakes and learn from them. And uh, I like that he felt a lot like Peter Parker minus the uh, the surliness that he could have in early comics. Uh, he was very earnest. He was full of responsibility. He couldn't say no to helping people out. That was all correct for the character. It all felt right. He he was joking around. He was he was funny. He was corny, super corny. The kind of gags that Toby and Andrew just couldn't have convincingly spit out as Spider-Man. Uh, were natural for Tom Holland, you know, calling the vulture Big Bird, as opposed to, you know, uh, I think Toby had a kiddo uh, for the Green Goblin at one point, Gobby. He had a Gobby, and that that didn't work at all. Right. But uh, <laughs> you know, but but Tom Holland with Big Bird, uh, and and it and it worked, and it felt right. And nobody was stupid. Aunt May wasn't stupid. Uh, the vulture wasn't stupid. Adrian Toomes, he figured out who Spider Man was without you know so much as a cut on the forearm. Uh, mm-hmm. No bike messenger knocking Tom down the characters were what I wanted them to be. And, uh, I, it made me want to see the sequel right away. And I still want to see the sequel. I want to see no way home like now. Not only did I want to see, you know, the next, uh, iteration of the solo Spidey, this, this Spidey, but I think I was even more excited to see him in other Marvel films, to have him interact uh, with the other MCU characters. I mean, I think Spider-Man has always, in the comics, kind of been the ambassador of the Marvel Universe. I mean, he he teams up with everybody at some point. And seeing the, you know, the the back and forth, the banter, the, the chemistry, the bouncing off of Spider-Man with other heroes is always a, a big part of the appeal of the character. And the fact that Marvel could now do that uh, just just got me super excited. So, um, yeah, I mean, o- o- always jazzed for a, a solo film, but uh, I think even more excited to see him just kind of play in the in the Marvel sandbox. Yeah, uh, a thought to end on. You mentioned Spider-Man being the ambassador. You know, it started out uh, Marvel's first ambassador, the most popular character. He was on everything, was the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it became Spider-Man. It moved on to. Uh, Wolverine right. and Deadpool and uh, Gwenpool and, you know, just all kinds of other characters as far as the comics market is concerned. But worldwide, Spider-Man is Marvel. Marvel is Spider-Man. He's still the number one uh, character in general <laughs> around the world as far as Marvel goes. 
And uh, yeah, no, the, the reason for that certainly pops up a lot in Homecoming. So that's it for the uh, special edition here, this little wrap up. Ethan and I hope that you had a fantastic 2021, a fantastic new year, and are looking forward to good things in 2022. We hope that you enjoyed No Way Home. Of course, I'm speaking this <laughs> six months after we recorded the episode just to do a little wrap-up that's in the present. Uh, more Friendly Neighborhood Webhead podcast coming in 2022. We've gone through home renovations. We've gone through deadlines. We've gone through COVID, and we're ready to get back to the show on a more regular schedule. And we hope you'll be here with us as we tackle the Infinity Saga's Infinity War and Endgame, as we tackle Far From Home, Into the Spider-Verse, No Way Home, the Spider-Man video game from 2018, and many other MCU-related projects, just because, hey man, we're Marvel geeks, we like talking about that. Uh, if you want to reach out, drop us a line at cinemaspidey at mail.com. You can hit us up with a voice message at anchor.fm slash webheadpodcast. Or you can uh, just tweet at us at uh, twitter.com slash webheadpodcast. Uh, it is 2022, and good things are coming. Friendly Neighborhood Webhead Podcast. We'll be back soon, everybody. Bye, friends.